How you doing everyone? Thank you for tuning into this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios. My name is Daniel the D3 Cohen. I am your host and I am speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios here in my garage. I'm a 19-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you, I make music out of my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hit makers work from home studios, so maybe we can help one of you accomplish your big dreams. In our last episode, I had the great pleasure of talking to Mr. Warren Sokol. He is a fabulous mastering engineer, and we had a fabulous conversation. You can check that episode out, which I highly recommend you do, at our network site, pantheonpodcast.com, along with some other very, very good music podcasts. You can also check out that episode and many other episodes of Ready to Record at our site, bluegirlproductions.net, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Today is a very, very exciting one, and I've been waiting a very long time to share this with you. I'm super excited to have Mr. Rich Steve Beck of Produce, Mix, Fix, and Conquer on the show today. If you don't know the name Rich Steve Beck, I highly recommend you do. He's a guy that started out like us, just a kid learning guitar, then found his way into recording kind of like we did, certainly like I did, by being around and being interested. After a career in finance and marketing and a few different other little bits and bobs of things to do in that field, Rich ended up finding himself a mastering engineer and now runs a community called Produce, Mix, Fix, and Conquer with nearly, if not over, 3,000 members on the Facebook group and a growing YouTube subscription count. He's interviewed people like Bob Katz and Fluff from the channel, uh, Riffs, Beards, and Gear, as well as friend of Ready to Record and Blue Girl Productions, Mr. Henning Pauly. Now, this is one I've been super excited for because this is the first time I've gotten to interview an interviewer and have somebody with similar friends and a similar style to mine. So I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation and what Rich has to say. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. Rich Steve Beck. Enjoy. Mr. Rich Steve Beck, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. So, I'd like to start off, as far as I have been uh, uh, made aware of, you grew up in Nottingham. Um, yep. And now you're a man about town in Manchester doing recording and mixing and primarily mastering. What What was the genesis of your career? How did you get from the kid in Nottingham to now being a, a a guy in mastering and now running uh, produce mix fix and conquer doing an interview show similar to this thanks for asking yeah it's it's been incredible it's um been a crazy crazy journey um so so to, to give you a bit of background so my um my grandma was a singer uh, my, my granddad was a keyboard player and my, my dad a drummer so i come from a very musical family and um i've been you know writing songs for fun uh, for the past 25 years, as well as learning all about audio and how that works. But my first um, taste of audio was uh, my granddad introducing me to his keyboards. So he, uh, very cool granddad, but he had uh, four uh, amazing like 1970s keyboards. And one of them, I think one of them was a Korg that he had and Casio, but also as well, he had uh, some really cool amps. So uh, I think just before I was born, I'm really gutted about this, but he got rid of it just before I was born. He had a Vox AC30. So he used oh to dear. put like the, <laughs> yeah, used to put uh, his uh, his keyboards through the Vox. Um, but also he had uh, a couple of pedals. He had electro harmonics pedal as well. So it was great. But as a four or five year old kid, just playing with all these like gadgets and gizmos, um, it was amazing. And um, my dad, um, amazing drummer, but he recorded a lot of demos at home. So in the 80s, like a lot of people had, you know, had, you know, cassette decks to record on like four tracks, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And um, my dad um, showed me 
uh, once how he recorded and how he would layer up um, the uh, the different tracks that he was doing. And it absolutely fascinates me the the whole process. And my dad used to proudly play his you know demos in the car to me, and um, it was a great bonding session for us. And he taught me how to you know string up a guitar and how to tune up a guitar as well. So those were the fundamental basics. But also, I was very I didn't realize at the time, but very privileged as a kid because my dad used to be a uh, a DJ like for friends parties and local. Um, local parties in the Nottingham and Man- Mansfield area. And uh, he had a wall of seven inch singles, like a whole uh-huh. wall. And man, I would just used to dive through those and just find different bands. Um, one of the bands I was obsessed with as a kid in the, the mid 80s was Bon Jovi, but he had, you know, U2 Joshua Tree on, um, on, on you know, uh, full album. He had um, some incredible stuff. I'm trying to th- remember what he had, but. Um, that really influenced me, but there was so much good stuff and Beatles, you know, bands like that and Elvis Costello. And my dad would just put these different songs on. He's like, you know, I'd be there discovering bands myself, you know, and uh, my dad would there say, oh, this has already been done before. I'm like, what, what do you mean? It's like, I was listening to like mid nineties punk, like bands like Green Day and The Offspring. My dad was there going, this mm-hmm. sounds like new wave, you know? And so he was playing me um, all these like new wave bands like Elvis Costello. And um, yeah, Gary Newman was another one that my dad got me into. So that was a fundamental basics. But then I remember once um, he gave me his guitar and he said, I know we probably shouldn't do this, but let's give it a go anyway. So my very first taste of actually playing guitar myself was I picked up my dad's very old 1970s guitar. He gave me a Jimi Hendrix fuzz face pedal and we put it through his hi-fi. I couldn't play music at that moment in time to save my life. However, just the sheer joy of hearing something come back at me through my dad's stereo speakers and the noise it created as well. Man, I was hooked, absolutely (laughs) hooked. And it was so wonderful. But during um, that time, so the mid nineties at school, I remember there was this kid um, and he played a riff uh, on guitar and I'm like, whoa, 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 what, what is that? And it was Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I'm there going, I, I want that. I want to do that. And that, that it, I didn't hear the song as in like the recorded version, um, but I heard just the riff. And it was the riff alone that got me into wanting to explore music more. Um, my parents were very traditional, shall we say, and, you know, upbringing. Um, uh, sorry, bringing me up, should I say. But, um, you know, for example, my parents would go through lyric books, as it were, you know, if there's any swearing or if, you know, if brought a CD home and it's had like parental advisory on the front, so it was like, whoa, 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 we were not having this in, in our household. So that obviously as a teenager made me want to rebel and buy more of these CDs, like, you know, Green Day and bands like that. And um, what happened, and I've told a few um, audio engineers this story when I've interviewed them on PMFC, but um, through Rebellion and wanting to learn these songs, I didn't hear uh, Pearl Jam yet. I had, sorry, I hadn't heard Pearl Jam yet. I hadn't heard Green Day yet and a lot of the Nirvana stuff. And it was my music uh, teacher passed me on to, uh, who was to become my guitar teacher, a guy called Mr. Langdale. And he had this tab book of all these different songs, all these songs that I wasn't allowed to listen to as a kid. I learned them through Rebellion. So I actually learned how to play like Pearl Jam, uh, a lot of the songs of Pearl Jam and 10 uh, versus Green Day Dookie. I learned all these <laughs> riffs before actually hearing the songs. And people there going to me, that's crazy. That's like the wrong way around. But it's like, it's now, right? You won't be able to do that as a kid now because obviously you've got YouTube. So it's like, well, you know, screw you, mom and dad. I'm going to go on YouTube and find this band and get into them. But it's like back then you just didn't, I didn't have any money. Um, obviously as a kid, as so I was like, you know, 13, 14, and that, that was the way I learned about all these riffs, but fundamentally that helped my knowledge about songwriting. And from an audio perspective, um, we had a very, very old Mac, uh, in our music block at school. And I wanted to suss out how to use that. So we had a very, very early, early version of logic whatever it was, I can't remember the, the exact name, um, but also we had like a four track Tascam 
in there as well. And we're there thinking, okay, so let's let's make a band and let's you know record some stuff. And oh, we've got some mics. So what mics have we got? I think we just had some old crappy Shure microphones knocking around. And um, but we had an isolated um, control room that you know our friend would go to, and we had a talkback mic, and we would set you know different people up recording we didn't dude we had no idea what we were doing no idea <laughs> at all it was sure. great uh, but it, that was part of the fun you know it was part of the fun and it sounded like absolute crap a lot of it but at the same time that was that was my obsession all of a sudden that i just learned how to record and you know show something to my friends and a lot of my friends were like oh this is dude this is terrible <laughs> you know this is really really bad but yet i was there thinking okay this is really bad how can we make it better how can we you know how do, how do i booking uh book into a proper studio so um yeah so that led me to uh meeting one of my really good friends a guy called aj um who lived down the street from me and he was also a guitarist so i must have been about I don't know, 18, 19 or so. And um, I remember he just, uh, probably a bad idea, but he'd just broken up with a girl and um, he was driving probably too fast. And uh, he saw me at the bus stop and he was just driving super, super fast past me. And then I just heard this screech of these tires. And then he suddenly whizzed back around. He was like, Rich, it's like, how's it going? It's like, we haven't seen each other for ages. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, should we start a band up? And we were just like, he said, let, let me drive you all the way. Um, all the way to the center in Nottingham. Uh, to be fair, man, I think we probably usually it would take about 20, 30 minutes to get to the center of Nottingham. I think that day it probably took us about 10 minutes because he was driving so fast. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Bad idea. Probably shouldn't have got into the car with him, but the rest is history. And um, anyway, so we came up with uh, a punk band and uh, we had great fun, man, just writing these songs with our friend Kev. And, um, you know, it turned out, my my friend Kev was a fantastic drummer, and anyway, so we decided to start doing some recording. And um, all of a sudden, I was there thinking, right, okay, well, I want to record professionally and properly. Um, and uh, we ended up meeting a chap called Daniel Knowles, who is now based out in LA, uh, funny enough, but um, who's on Produce, Mix, Fix, and Conquer as well. So, absolute blast from the past. Um, but yes, yeah, so we recorded a demo with uh, with Daniel. And um, to us, it sounded great. And people in our local scene got into it as well. But I remember, um, and I've talked to a few artists about this. As an artist, you don't really pay that much attention. Sometimes when you're in the studio, you're just really, not just, but you're listening to the song more than you're looking at the gear. So if there's an engineer, right, that walks in the studio, automatically we'll look at the gear and go, oh, what compressors he got and what EQ has he got? But at that moment in time, to to myself as a songwriter, I was more interested with uh, the actual song and uh, songwriting. Sure. Um, and it was just really, really interesting doing that. And I believe it was, oh, what was it called? It was Place in Mansfield, um, Bandwagon, that was it, Bandwagon Studios. And they moved premises. And um, the premises that they were in, uh, we were the last band to actually record there. And it was like this old battered house. It was a bit creepy when you walk in there, but it had a vibe and the vibe was awesome. Um, so I learned about studio vibes and I learned about uh, production as well, just from watching um, Dan a little bit over his shoulder, just trying to suss out how things were recorded. And it was fascinating at that moment in time. And I think it was, uh, would have been Ada uh, that he was recording on at that moment in time. Um, but yeah, and that, that I was hooked uh, going into studios and suddenly realizing, going, ah, okay, so if we record ourselves on a crappy four-deck tape record like a Tascam, whatever, it's going to sound bad, but we can sound a bit better if we go into a proper studio. And um, yeah, that's what we got. And then I became obsessed with sussing out how to make my band sound better. And through that, um, that moment in time, I was also studying um at a place called clarendon in nottingham now clarendon um they run popular music courses and so i joined a course there i got to know a couple of the lecturers uh guy and ruth and a few other lecturers and um learn all the fundamental basics behind 
music production and also mixing and mastering and how it all worked. And I remember my first time looking at Cubase going, what the hell is this? It was literally, it was like another world, but literally yeah. they, 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 you were in a, I don't know if you've been in the situation yourself as well, Daniel, but it's like, we were in a classroom and everyone was on Cubase at the same time. And we all had a keyboard and they're going, is this just like a glorified keyboard? But I learned how to use Cubase and learned how to multi-layer tracks on there as well. So that was a really interesting thing. And, but also there was a couple of studios uh, at the college that we got to record at. So again, I was like watching them, what they were doing on the mixing desk. I was watching what outboard gear they were using and learning the fundamental basics. And so it was such a fascinating experience. But then I left, um, yeah, I left college and decided to go into uh, the finance world. And so, yeah, I've done marketing over the years. I've done uh, finance and various jobs, but also at the same time, decided to get into the world of audio and um, record friends' bands for fun. And um, how the mastering thing started was, um, I think the band I was in at the time, it's been about 2009, 2010, and my bandmate turned around to me, just said, um, you know, oh, dude, it's like, is there any way, we've done this mix, it sounds okay, but um, I don't know how to master. Can Can you master it for us? And they're going, okay, let's. Now, I've done a little bit of mastering before. Let's try it out. Sent it back to my friend. And my friend was like, this is this is good. This sounds, you know, volume-wise, it sounds commercial. And, you know, so, so we got quite excited. And I was there thinking, okay, maybe this is an avenue uh, that I can explore. And maybe this is my calling. And uh, where that led to is, again, just doing mastering for fun over the period of a few years. And um, then... You know what happened after that? Then we got given this amazing opportunity. You might have seen, you said I'm linked in with uh, the metal world a bit, uh, which yeah. is absolutely right. And what I did for fun is decided to start off a metal project. Um, so there's a guy called um, Aaron, who's on the community, Aaron Ude, uh, Yule, sorry. Um, he's known as the Manchester drummer. And uh, we decided to literally get a whole load of musicians together. We didn't know how it was going to sound. We just did it for fun. My mate uh, Pete was at the helm, and uh, we got given the opportunity to record at Salford University. Um, So he had a week free. And again, loads of beautiful outboard gear, beautiful desk, amazing microphones, amazing rooms. And uh, yeah, we made some really loud metal music. But my friend Aaron, who uh, came in on the drums, man, He's just that guy's killer on the kit. And he does all like the flick trick sticks, uh, sticks, right? Where he flicks the sticks and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know how he does what he does, but it's absolutely fascinating. Um, but again, um, I got to learn more rather than just recording on my own, you know, Yamahas at home. I got to learn about mastering and mixing in the studio itself again, even deeper, which led me. Um, a few months later to going to, I think you've seen this on the community, to Oscillate. So a guy called Chris Hughes, who runs a beautiful studio, uh, Oscillate in a place called Nutsford um, in Cheshire, so near, near Manchester. And um, I walked into Chris and said, look, you know, man, it's just like I've been doing some mastering and I've been doing this for fun, but I want to take it to the next level. And so he really helped um, shape me and mentor me um you know and give me his time which was turned out to be absolutely invaluable it was such a an amazing opportunity to be with him um which has come full circle because um i got to produce uh, i was telling you about before we went on air but got to produce an artist called luke radden jackson um last week for four days in oscillate you know it's beautiful neve console um this neve genesis desk loads of beautiful outboard gear there as well um, so it's fantastic. But anyway, so um, I decided to put myself out for free as a mastering engineer to build up a, a client base. So this would have been about three years ago. And mm-hmm. um, what happened is all of a sudden people are there going, dude, this is great. Can we pay you money to do more? I'm like, what? I can make money actually doing what I enjoy doing? It's like, wow, this is crazy. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, I was starting to build up a, a good client list. Um, you know, it, 
mastering everything from Indian jazz music to country music to rock to metal to industrial. And it really, I don't know if you find this yourself as well, Daniel, but it's like when you're given a track to mix or master, it really starts to broaden your music taste yeah. as well. You know, totally. it's such a great thing, man. It's so wonderful. And um, yeah, so I got to um, master a fantastic artist called Amelia Quinn. And um, what happened was she decided to go for a chart position in the uh, country iTunes country chart in the UK. And um, it was only in the iTunes country chart for a couple of days, but we got into the top 10. Um, so I was there thinking, okay, so this is, all of a sudden this is starting to get really interesting, even more interesting than what I was doing previously. And um, thought, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll reach out to uh, a couple of engineers and see what they think. Um, so I reached out to Warren Hewitt, on Produce Like a Pro with uh, his assistant, Eric, both lovely, lovely guys. And um, Warren very graciously agreed to let the track be reviewed um, on um, on his channel, um, Produce Like a Pro. I don't know how many engineers were on there, maybe two, 300 people were on there. And literally just commenting, man, I've never sweated so much, um, literally with all these different engineers just commenting. But um, the review was great. And so again, it was like really positive and, um, yeah, that led me to mastering more artists, but then also asking different engineers for feedback and, uh, yeah, that led me to, uh, creating PMFC and at where we are now. Right. Right. Well, that's, that's a wonderful thing on the topic Ooh. of, on the topic of, uh, music broadening horizons i completely understand and agree with that the the funny thing is lately a lot of the a lot of the music that i've been primarily doing has been um in the jazz and funk space uh which wow. is which is what my band is and yeah. and then i uh and I'll, I'll i'll be sure to send you some things that i've that i've worked on the last couple of months but a, a friend of mine uh who i've been doing a lot of uh music with and and has i've been a bit of his partner in in some of his solo material uh during during his live shows uh we recorded a uh we recorded a pretty true to form bluegrass song it was a it was a it was a comedy bluegrass song but it was still a bluegrass song and uh then all of a sudden a couple of months later i had another friend call me up who who i uh who i had been uh doing a collaboration with uh, a couple of months prior and he said hey can you do some uh post-production engineering on on my album it has to come out and before i send it off to my mix engineer it needs x y and z about the you know the the tracks aren't all lining up it needs to be fixed basically yeah yeah um, and you know uh, prior to talking to him i had not been i had not probably listened to a lot of hip-hop in about five years and wow. then I, I got back into hip hop through through him and through working with him. And actually, funnily enough, as as we record this, I have a session with him tomorrow. He's recording an EP in my studio with me. Amazing. So that'll that'll be an interesting one. Now we've we've talked a bit about PMFC, produce, mix, fix, and conquer. You you've you've spoken about the genesis of it. What was the defining moment for you that made you say, "Okay, I'm going to start this show." Great question, really great question. Um, so one of my one of my best friends, a guy called Ian Russell, um, he's a, a patent attorney. Um, so yeah, he's such a wonderful guy. Uh, so he's a patent attorney, but he's also a punk rock bass player. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so the two things, man. It's just that they uh, the completely different ends of the spectrum, right? And uh, yeah, lovely guy. But anyway, so he started off a uh, a punk rock community and um i saw that had a lot of traction and you know we uh i remember this as clear as clear as a bell uh this was back in november and he said man it's like you love music production you love mastering he's like why don't you start something up yourself and they're going okay yeah that'll be interesting it's like you know you've got a a few contacts and um you know a few people that you know so by this point I got to know um, my my mentor Tony Jack Vermance and uh, a few other people as well, 
and yeah, he, he basically said, yeah, give it a go. So he starts, so we started off the community. It was myself, Ian, and uh, my, uh, one of my, another one of my best friends, Luke Radden Jackson, who've been in the uh, studio with last week and a phenomenal guitarist and songwriter. And um, yeah, just decided to give it a go. And the fundamentals of the community was I think, okay, well, I'll add a few people and you know see what they think. Um, but what I noticed about different communities, you know, there's some fantastic communities out there and so much information. And um, I felt that there was a way to really um, create a community that was about equipping everybody. So not just the guy or girl at the very beginning, at maybe at university doing you know some sort of music production course which in itself is amazing but it's like how can we create something that is of benefit to pro engineers and to intermediate engineers as well um so without really much thought what i did is i decided to start posting out questions and you know doing it in a big fun way and posting out these um questions but rather than the questions um, been how does an EQ work or you know how does a compressor work have been very sort of direct closed questions it was all about asking big open questions and talking about perception and that in itself just led to these massive conversations and rather than people going well no that's that's not how an EQ works or that's not how a compressor works it's all about going okay what's your perception because, you know, I don't know how many billion people there are on this earth, but how PMFC w was born was all about encouraging people to talk about perception and how they hear music themselves and what speakers they love and what gear that they love, but not saying that it's the best, you know, which a lot of engineers do on different communities and sometimes get into big arguments, which I'm sure you've seen. Um, but instead, it's going, OK, I love this, but this is why I love it. And this is why I want to share it. And right. it grew, man. It grew. And it was far beyond my expectations or, you know, my, uh, my friends that joined us as moderators on the community as well. We were just literally looking at it going, what the hell is this like? Barry Grint is like a legendary mastering engineer. He's joined the community, man. It's just like he wants to get involved. We're like, whoa, okay. And then we start to see other people join and come through the door. And um, Bob Katz was another one that, you know, came through the door and joined. And um, we were just watching it going, this is crazy. But people were enjoying it because there were it, something about the community. It's a very positive place to be because, you know, with COVID and all the horrible stuff that's going on around the world that everybody is affected by produce mix fix and conquer it became and has become a place for people to share what they love and it's really interesting um i talked to various people that i've interviewed over the past few months and um what's what makes me smile is the fact that they say my other half you know they're not interested when I talk about music that they might have worked with some, some of the best artists in the world, you know, like they might've worked with U2 or Pearl Jam, whoever, or Keith Urban, but yet their other half has barely any interest in the geeky side of things. So it's sure. also a place for people to come and geek out with one another go, dude, it's like, Oh, you know, do that. Have you, have you, have you seen this compressor or this EQ or, you know, so it's, it's a great place to, geek out and it, it just grew man absolutely and it's grown to over 2500 engineers on the community now which well, i think is i think crazy. It's to i think you're nearing 2700 i know it's somewhere around the 2.6 thousand growing so, fast yeah yeah and you you only started this what in january february yeah november november we really? started okay. yeah 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 right. so but again I'm it's not thinking, been... of the, thinking of the interviews in the youtube channel yeah um the interviews on the youtube channel yeah that you're right that started uh, oh wow february february time and uh the very first interview was a uh, lovely guy a mayor appleborn uh fantastic mastering engineer absolutely incredible and um 
you know, and we ended up talking about his gear and all the equipment that he uses. And he showed us all his outboard that he used. And, you know, he's worked with um, Sylvia Massey, man. It's like Sylvia Massey's. I'd love to interview her one day. But, you know, it's the, the fact that he's uh, was very gracious to give us his time. And then that just led to me thinking, okay, well, maybe we could do some more interviews with some more, uh, some more engineers. And um, there's a really nice guy in our community, uh, a guy called Trevor Gibson, who um, I don't know if you know this story, but Trevor, uh, not interviewed Trevor, um, but he uh, was famously in a film called Scream for Me, Sarajevo, mm -hmm. uh, where he uh, Trevor used to be a uh, soldier. Um, in Sarajevo, and he thought, you know what, I'm going to put on a rock gig in the middle of a war zone, as you do, you know, and um, crazy. And um, anyway, so there is a reason behind the story, which I'll get to in a sec. But um, so he basically invited, I think he invited Metallica, and they turned it down, invited Motorhead, they turned it down. And so it was Bruce Dickinson that um, ended up going across um, and doing a concert in the middle of a war zone. So it's crazy. And um, I started learning about Trevor and, you know, that, watching that film. But then um, through Trevor, I got introduced to Steve Boffman. Mm. And um, Steve, uh, lovely guy. I've got to become, um, you know, uh, friendly with Steve over the last few months. And Steve's been a massive part of the community. Such a lovely chap and um, really, you know, wants to see many people get equipped and encouraged in our community as possible. But Steve's worked with Michael Jackson. He's worked with Eminem. He got trained by Dr. Dre. And it was incredible. And I interviewed Steve. And it just snowballed from there. And um, Steve was like, oh, have you spoke to uh, another one of my friends? You know, have you spoke to this engineer, that engineer? Uh, we spoke to Tim Palmer. So we ended up in, I ended up interviewing Tim Palmer. And man, it was crazy because tim again such a wonderful bloke and got to find out about his uh his journey like like you do when you interview engineers got to find out about his journey and who he's worked with and what he's done and um for me that kid i was telling you a few minutes ago about that kid that was me that sat down with his guitar teacher learning all these songs from pearl jams 10 that my parents didn't want me listening to so i got to know those songs before listening to it and yet here i am interviewing the guy that mixed the album i'm like <laughs> what the hell this is crazy it's like who, who who does this full circle man absolutely and it is such an honor and completely blessed by um you know the engineers that have given their time so far and producers and artists and it's wonderful it is such a privilege and it's so wonderful to talk to all these people um bob katz as well recently so i got to interview bob katz you know mary his wonderful wife was doing all the camera work and they were on the interview as well and she did a fantastic job an amazing photographer mary and a videographer as well and um we've been very blessed actually it was yesterday bob released it but bob actually did the edit of our interview with the, on produce mix fix and conquer and released it on his own channel <laughs> Again, man, I was speechless. I literally had to take, you know, a minute or two just to take it in. But Bob was such a fantastic guest. And obviously everyone knows that he's a genius. You know, yeah. it's just, yeah, it was incredible. And um, just blessed, man. But we've had so many great guests. But yet, you know, I'm talking about some of these guests that are, you know, some of the biggest in the world. But man, I'll happily talk to someone that's just starting out as well. I'll interview whoever because I just want to find out about engineers and how they tick. Because the more people that I interview and more people that you interview, for example, on your channel, people yeah. get to find out about their history. They get inspired by it. They also uh, want to explore about different techniques as well. And this is a big thing on PMFC. And this is how I feel that it's grown. Is and I, I still think it's a baby. I th still think we're at the very beginnings of PMFC, Produce, Mix, Fix, and Conquer. Um, you know, but it's because the... For example, a 18-year-old kid will post up a question and someone like Bob Katz will answer it and blow right. that kid's mind, right? Absolutely blow that kid's mind. But then that Bob Katz might go, I've just seen this thing, I don't know, by Leapwing, this new plugin, or I don't know, like Baby Audio or whoever, right? He goes, 
how does it work? And this 18 year old kid who's probably just downloaded it and had a couple of months to play with it goes, oh yeah, it's just like this. So everyone is equipping one another, you know, and just watching that unfold, you know, it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. It's great. Well, you know, I, I, I can completely understand that. And I completely agree. I don't have that same community thing though. I, I admit I, I should take a, I should, I should take a page out of your book and, uh, and maybe start a Facebook group. Cause that might be a, that might be a yeah, way to do connect it. everybody. Yeah, do it. The, the, the thing that's been interesting is a couple of times I, I can't, unfortunately I can't say who specifically, but there have been a couple of occasions where I've been talking to somebody and they've said, I've never told this story before, but, and then go into a story mm. and, you know, it'll be this crazy, funny, you know, sometimes mm. gut wrenching, sometimes heartwarming story. Yeah. And the funniest thing is, you know, because now everybody's connected because we're all in this community and now we're all plugged into it. I'll sometimes get a text message or be talking to somebody else and they'll say, I heard that episode. I've known that guy for 10, 15, <laughs> 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard that story. You know, wow. that, that, that's happened a couple of times. It's, and, hmm. and it's, you know, one of the most fun things that, that you can hear is like, you know, somebody will be having a good time and they'll let loose and open up and tell something that hmm. they've not said before. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the beauty of, of something like this is you can, you can hear those stories. You can, you know, you can talk about those things and it's be, because this is meant for our community and it's, it's yeah. not just like, it's not just people um, who are, you know, it's not just fans of the music. That's why, you know, as, as many, as much as people like hearing from rock stars and as many people, as much as people like, you know, interviewing the, the, the musicians, there's, there's yeah. a lot of merit and, and a lot of beauty to listening to the stories of the engineers and the producers and the designers of equipment, you know, who, who, and, 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 uh, the guys in the repair rooms at studios, you know, fixing the gear because yeah, they'll, they'll exactly. have, you know, what, whatever stories that the musicians will have, they, they probably have tenfold because mm. the engineers will probably have a session with one guy in the morning and then at night they'll have a session with another guy in the next room over, you know, yeah. so it's, it's one of those beautiful things. Now I've, in, in the grand scheme of produce, mix, fix and conquer, like you said, mm -hmm. it, the, the group has been going on since November. You've been interviewing since February. Yeah. Um, I've had this podcast, our first episode released July 14th of last year. And one of the things that I've noticed is I've through the information that I've gotten from my guests by talking to them and asking their asking questions and being able to pick their brain not only is it cool because we get to release it and share all that really cool information and knowledge with everybody else but as the as the interviewer i get a lot of info myself which is yeah as the as the young 19 year old is 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 kind of a beautiful thing i, I get to learn a lot of stuff from these from these you know seasoned professionals and veterans in this sure. community so i guess for you interviewer to interviewer have you found a similar experience in uh talking to these people for pmfc yeah i found yeah completely um it it's been so wonderful yeah like you said just going back to what you're saying about a minute ago saying that these um different things that their stories that they're saying said i haven't told anyone this but you know it's that in itself is wonderful um yeah do you, do you find that as well on your podcast as well that you do you get told that from quite often it's not an often thing but it's it's more of a rare occurrence but it when it happens yeah. wonderful absolutely and yeah completely and it is i don't know what it is i think it might be the fact that you know when i i don't know about you and i know you love interviewing as well daniel by that you know from listening to your podcasts which are incredible by the way Thank and uh, pleasure man absolute pleasure and um i just i love people you know i just love finding out about people and i think what's really important as an interviewer is to make your guests feel comfortable and as you said you know it's not about hero worship right 
it's not about sort of going oh well you know you're like a rock star to me you're like you're you're my god or goddess or whatever it's not about that it's it's saying to them what did you have for dinner last night oh i had this you know it's just been you know everyone can talk about the same thing but if you're on that level with your guest whoever you're interviewing and talking about something you know that we can all relate to then that in itself is great and people like that because people want to especially due to the pandemic i've found um don't know if you found the same thing but people want to talk to people so yeah. they're going what a human a human being i get to talk to another human being yeah let's do it you know and everyone's starting to get more accustomed to zoom more accustomed to you know Streamyard, to facetime that sort of stuff because that is how people have learned to communicate and i know that the world is starting to open back up again which is amazing but we've all now learned to use this incredible technology that we once been able to do 10, 15, 20 years ago. And um, some of the stories, man, just like got given, it's like Bob Olson, man. It's just another fantastic guest that we had on. You know, this guy was there at Motown Records in the 60s, right? He was yeah. there with like, you know, Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye. And we got to hear wonderful stories about those guys. And you could just, dude, he was just, you know, still so passionate about that music and their sound and what they were creating it's phenomenal um but then like you said you know you do get on our community and i've been absolutely blessed with some of the stories but um you know we've had amor uh, amir uh to rock on as well amir man it's just such a wonderful guy and you know fantastic guitarist as we all know and he's been in orgy and uh dead by sunrise as well but he really opened up about his friend chester bennington and yeah. um you know and chester man's absolutely one of my heroes um growing up and you know, love lincoln park obviously and dead by sunrise um but it's what was really interesting as well is when i was talking to amir about dead by sunrise my favorite song was oh, i've forgotten the, the title but the first song on the album to me i listened to and i feel chester's power behind that song but also amir as well on the guitar and it's just so wonderful that i know that that band will never happen again but yet it's the fact that he's made his mark amir's made his mark with chester and that is there to stay and bob olsen has made his mark with the motown sound you know and the motown stuff that he's done and mark dodson's another one as well so mark dodson it's like you know who wonderful guy as well and mark dodson man his energy is insane um he got told he's a, lives in london uh but he got told by uh, some of his friends in the pub, um, you know, saying, Mark, you need to share more of your stories. He's like, going, oh, okay, okay. So, but then more people I talked to, like Amir knows Mark as well. It's like um, Mark uh, engineered for, I think, recorded, recorded Amir uh, years ago in one of Amir's old bands. And anyway, Mark has some funny stories, man. It's like he told us about, um, oh, what did he tell us about? Uh, the Who um, with um yeah some funny stories of those guys and aussie stories as well there's one story with um aussie osborne that you told us about which is wonderful so uh yeah wh whoever uh whoever's listened to this will have to check it out on uh produce mix fix and conquer on youtube but uh, it's aussie osborne in the studio and uh aussie is famous for like you know obviously having a shake it's like he shakes his hands or whatever with a stammer and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. and um aussie like he has i don't know like 30 40 bangles on one arm 30 40 bangles on the other but also apparently what he does in the vocal booth is he puts his hands on his ears but he shakes where he's wearing his headphones and um apparently what happened is like someone turned around to mark and went man it's like you need to tell ozzy to take his bangles off like during his vocal take he says there's no effing way that i'm telling ozzy osborne the prince of darkness to take his bangles off to do a vocal take you know, stuff like that, man. It's just so funny. Um, another story is about Keith Moon as well, apparently, coming into the studio. Like, one of uh, Keith Moon's friends that they didn't know at the time was dressed up as a clown that came into the studio. And all of a sudden, Keith Moon stops his drum take, jumps out from behind his kit, and starts punching this clown. And everyone's there going, why the hell is he punching a clown? It turns out it was one of his friends. But, yeah, man, it's just so many funny stories. But, um, but then we do get really technical as well with... Um, with our interviews as well, like with Bob Katz. Bob was talking about his case system and talking about 
his speakers and his room and how he works. And uh, Peter Hewitt Dutton as well, when I was interviewing Peter at uh, at the bakery, as we all know, which is a fantastic mastering facility, especially if uh, people want uh, to have their vinyls pressed. And um, yeah, man, it's just the interview can go wherever, but it's just, I think you probably do this as well, but it's just adapting with whoever you're interviewing as you go along and um, just going with the flow, man. That's, you know, that's that's what I've learned to do with these amazing guests. Well, and I mean, I think I told you this uh, before we we hit record is that, you know, Mm. I I don't really do prepared questions anymore. I, I did at one point. But yeah. what I what I realized is that, you know, you can have the prepared questions and you can try and reel back in your uh, you, your guests to, to try and get back into the questions that you've prepared. But if if there if, if that conversation is going in a completely different gr- direction, you, yeah. you're you're kind of, you know, I, I don't know, you're you you're out of luck basically if you're, yeah, sure. if you're if you're not completely prepared so yeah. so it's it's better for for me and it seems better for you as well that you know you you just prepare very heavily and you make sure you have notes on on who you're talking to but you you really yeah, just talk you don't interview them per se no yeah it, 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 in not interviewing them quote unquote it it, it makes for a better interview you're right. You're absolutely right. And what I usually, what, what I imagine is just about how to, how you would talk to someone. If you were sat in a bar or in a pub and it's how, obviously, you know, there's a hell of a lot of respect there. There's a lot of accolade there as well. But also it's the thing of talking to the other person that you're talking to um, as a new friend, you know, as, as a new um, person that you're just getting to know. And, you know, you've got so many questions to ask them because you're interested in them. And when people realize that you're interested in them, not just who they're, you know, who they've recorded or who they've mastered or mixed or whatever or produced, when they realize, which is, you know, the, the, the way I do it, I'm genuinely interested in that person and we'll contact them afterwards after the interview as well and see what they're up to and things like that. That just you end up building fantastic professional friendships. And that is what a way that has helped PMFC grow as well, because, you know, these guests that we've interviewed, um, you know, have started to get to know me and then they've started to get to know some of the moderators on the community and then started to get to know other engineers, like you said, that have not, they've not spoke to these engineers for years. You know, I have, I have had some pro inter- pro engineers sorry, that I've interviewed and I've gone, oh, my friend so-and-so from 15 years ago that I've not seen for 15 years is on PMFC. And I gave him a phone call the other night and they said, if it wasn't for this community, I would have never have thought to give them a call. You know, I'm there going, that blows my mind. The fact that, you know, with a community, whatever social media platform you're on, the fact that, you know, it just naturally happened like that is phenomenal. It's wonderful. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing better, especially because our community, I mean, it's strange because our community is sort of big because mm-hmm. we encompass so much stuff. I mean, we do folly and film and television and theater and, and uh, obviously podcasts and, and yeah. radio and, uh, you know, audio recording and mixing and mastering in, in the music world is a very small part of it. But even so, even all of that, the the all-encompassing audio production industry is still incredibly tiny. Yeah, um, you're right. In in spite of how large it is, uh, and it's it's something that always impresses me and fascinates me when I speak to people because I you know when when you're 15 and you're thinking about you know home recording and doing stuff you don't think that you know you're you're just one phone call or two phone calls away from a guy like dave pensado you know or or a guy like shelly akis who you know shelly akis i i if you listen to that interview he's a pretty early one i believe he's oh boy episode nine i think yeah sure i can't i can't remember exactly but er, very early Mm. episode 
and you know i he recorded the first um record for the band and yeah. that album is one of my favorite albums of all time and in, in addition to me loving the songs on that it's it has some of my favorite drum tones some of my favorite guitar tones uh it's like the sound of that album is one of my favorites on top of the album itself the the, the songwriting i'm i'm as big of a fan of the way that album sounds as i am of the band that played it you know yeah and being able to pick the brain of the man who recorded it was um something really interesting to me but in in addition to that it was also fun to just talk to this guy uh who who who's just a, a <laughs> who's just a guy who loves his job you know yeah absolutely yeah um so i completely get it you know that that you know this community is brought out all additionally and this was the first two-part episode that we had ever done with uh lanice ben yeah she's the first woman to ever receive a platinum album as an audio engineer wow and it was so funny because we we had reached out to her to do the interview and you know we we gave we gave a brief overview, you know, I was at the, I'm 19, mm. now I'll be 20, but I'll, at the time I was 18. And, you know, I said, Hey, we said, Hey, the, um, this is Daniel, the D3 Cohen. He's an 18 year old producer, engineer, musician guy out of, out of San Francisco. He's working out of a home studio. He's doing this interview show and in, in a podcast forum, we'd love to have you on. He's a big fan of your work. And the thing that we got as the response, which she has which she said to me before we we went on air and after actually yeah. was that you're 18 and you know my work you know like that's so cool that's that's the thing that i that <laughs> people don't really realize is that yeah we you know our my generation knows your work the millennials and the post millennials all we know what you're doing i mean there there's not you know of course there's plenty of people that listen to in Lil, insert name here, Yachty, Baby, Uzi Vert, uh, John. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, you know, uh, there, there are some of us that love, you know, and I don't want to call it real music, but there, there are a lot of us that do really love the music that came out before because there's so much stuff now. And you yeah, may you absolutely. may agree or disagree with it. There's so much stuff now that feels like it's going to be popular right now, but mm -hmm. it will not it will not stand up in 20 years. Like people will forget about what they listen to right now. But yeah, I th yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, always, no, save for some of save for some really talented artists these days. But there's a lot of stuff that seems like it's not always going to stand up. But there's so much from you know the records like uh, stevie nicks belladonna or the band album i was just talking about or what lanice worked on breakfast in america super tramp and all that stuff yeah. all of that stuff is just i mean you know when you think about it a lot of that stuff is going to last and so of course we listen to it absolutely um which is really interesting but <clears throat> excuse me i've got another Another take on that as well. So I do agree with you, um, but at the same time, you know, there might be a style of music that's popular now that might help someone right now in that right. situation. So, so we might listen to X genre and go, oh, no, not another one of that particular songs that's, you know, popular on whatever social media platform. But that particular song might help a kid with their exam. It might help them, you know, do well. It might help someone, you know, pass uh, an interview. You know, it could do anything, man. It's just like the power of music is absolutely phenomenal. And it's quite interesting that you pointed this one out because in the mid-90s, I was there going, I just listened to punk rock music and punk rock music is it. Uh, or grunge punk rock and grunge those are my two go-to types of music i listen to screw everything else but then all of a sudden like we both agree you know that there's so many different genres out there but again it goes back to the conversation about perception and it's like what you and i uh, as it sounds like you know you've 
possibly got similar music taste to myself, but you and I may agree that a song to us is not great, but however, to, you know, I don't know, 2 million, 3 million people, they love it. They think it's right. great. You know, they, they think it's like the, the best thing ever and it makes them dance and it makes them have a good time and it helps them through life. So I do agree though that there don't seem to be, there are still some, there don't seem to be as many what we perceive quote unquote legends, you know? And, you know, you sometimes think, where's, where's the new Elvis Presley? Where's the new Madonna? Where's the new Michael Jackson? Where are they? You know, where's, the, where's even the new Eminem? You know, where are they? And it's like, you know, because we, we keep looking at the past. But I think, though, another part of this, I won't call it an issue, but another part of this thing is the fact that, and especially I'm learning this as a mastering engineer, that there is just so much music out there and it's yeah. for an artist that's trying to get heard above the noise because of the um, streaming services like Spotify and iTunes and Tidal and Amazon Music, everything else. There's just so many different platforms out there and so many artists putting their music out. It's so easy now to go to a distributor, a publisher, and put out your album for like, I don't know, you know $20, $25, whatever it is. And, you know, everyone, you know, all of a sudden is doing that you know some of it's great quality some of it's bad quality but it's so hard for those legends potential legends to get heard you know so because they've got to have a record company as you know backing them but as we all know there isn't as much money in the record industry well there's barely anything in the record industry in the grand scheme of things money wise to yeah. back these artists because the record companies go well is that popular on tiktok is that popular on YouTube, great. Let's back those guys and girls. It's like, oh, hold on a minute. But what about this phenomenal artist that's like blowing everyone's minds? Sometimes they come out of the works. Sometimes, you know, um, we get new artists that stand the test of time, like, for example, Adele. You know, yeah. you know, really? everyone, you know, it's like Adele sings, man. It's just like literally, you know, no one talks. You can hear a pin drop when she sings, and everyone is just like completely transfixed on her and her vocals and the songs that she delivers and you there go she's got the making of a legend and i know, think but... and sam smith in a similar vein they've yeah got sure that, they've got that voice um and the, i think there has been a lack of i know they identify as non-binary now but sure. but you know a not not to put them into the box of of male singer category anymore just given yeah. their identity but in in that auspice there have been very few really good falsetto singers yeah. like that recently and it's it's really lovely to see somebody in the mainstream that has a set of pipes like that yeah definitely couldn't agree more and but there probably thing is though, Dan, it's just like there probably is more artists like that out there, but they just right. haven't got they the through the they haven't gotten through the noise. Exactly. Then they've not got the record label backing them. And because also they might not have the technical know how how to grow a fan base on YouTube or how to grow a fan base on TikTok and you know, they, or they haven't got the budget to market themselves because these artists um, know that if they've got money, they can really do some heavy PR either on TV or the radio um, or on, you know, pay for advertising on YouTube, on, you know, wherever. And I think another thing these days as well, artists are all battling for is to get onto Spotify, but be on the playlists on Spotify mm -hmm. because. You know, that's, as we all know, that's where everyone goes to on Spotify. Yeah. But yet, the artists are really struggling to make the money, as we all know, because Spotify is barely paying the artists anything. So it's really hard. It's a wonderful, I don't know what your thoughts are, but it's a wonderful thing, the fact that artists are able to put out whatever the hell they want, man. That's amazing. That's incredible. The fact that you could be, you know, uh, 13 14 year old kid in your bedroom with i don't know logic reaper whatever whatever daw you use in your laptop 
and you can put music out there but at the same time who's listening is anyone listening you know it's like it's so tough and it's so tough to get into those uh spotify um listings as well you know it's it's tough work man but artists do it but it's very different though isn't it you know i'm sure you'd agree that the music industry has massively changed in the past 20 years you know so it's uh, it's, it's crazy absolutely crazy This has been a lot of fun, and the fun is not going to stop here. Tune in next time. We're going to have part two with Rich, and we're going to continue this wonderful conversation that we have going and get into a whole lot more wonderful topics. Welcome to a Gear Talk teaser. Today I'm keeping it short and sweet because I want to give a demo of the gear that I'm talking about but I still wanted to share it with all of you because I was very excited to. Today, I am speaking not through a blue baby bottle, which is my go-to on the show, nor am I speaking through the AKG C44 Lyra mic that was sent out to us as Pantheon podcast creators by AKG to review and demo, which all of you, I'm sure, very well know I did. No, today I am using the MA200 Transformer Coupled Tube Condenser Mic by Mojave Audio. This and a few other mics are on loan to me by Mojave, uh, courtesy of friend of the show and past ready-to-record guest Dusty Wakeman, who offered to send me out some mics very, very graciously to help me finish out a project that I actually shared with all of you which is a co-write and a production I am doing with a pop rock band out of Richmond, California called Tomorrow's June. Now, while I had the mics, I figured I have some other projects going on, and why have these mics sitting around doing nothing while I wait for us to get together and finish out the project? So I've been using them to do some voiceover work. I did some web and radio spots with the MA200 just a few days ago, and it performed marvelously. Likewise, I had a vocal tracking session with the boys in tomorrow's June for another co-write that we are doing, and it performed equally beautifully under that situation as well. Now, I am super stoked to have this mic on loan to demo and see if I want to get it, and something that I've been thinking about is my absolute love for these mics and using these mics in a short time. I've always pretty much known I've enjoyed these microphones. I've had friends who use the MA200s and the 201 FETs, and I've listened to pretty much every mic that is released in the Mojave lineup thus far. They're all wonderful, and I can highly recommend every one of them, depending on your price point. But as far as hands-on experience, I haven't gotten that much. So, well, sitting in front of this MA200 talking to all of you, it brings me to the question, when it finally comes time for me to buy some Mojave mics, do I buy MA200s or 201 FETs, or do I buy MA300s and 301 FETs and go for the mic with a few more features? Now, those who don't know the mics in the Mojave category and the Mojave catalog... The MA200 and 201 FET are transformer-coupled mics, one of them tube, one of them FET, obviously it's in the name, but aside from that, there are really no features. It's a cardioid direct-to-XLR after the electronics microphone. Bump up to the MA300s and the 301 FETs, and you get a few things, namely multi-patterns and a 15 dB pad. Now, for me, being a guy who records a lot of drums and a lot of amplifiers, this is very intriguing. And just thinking about it makes my mouth drool. But I have already had a lot of really, really pleasant experience with the 200s and 201 FETs already, so I'm at a loss. I want to hear from you guys. What do you think? Should I go for what I've already been using, 
that Dusty has loaned out to me and buy some 200s and 201 FETs, or should I bump up $200 more from each of the mics and get the 300s and the 301 FETs? There's merits to both, and every one of them sounds beautiful. It's just so very, very hard to choose. That's the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all of you. Special major big thank you to Mr. Rich Steve Beck for coming on the show. It's been so fun sharing our conversation with everyone, and I can't wait to share the rest of it next time. For all of you listening, tune in next time for part two with Mr. Rich Steve Beck. It's been a fabulous conversation, and I cannot wait to share the rest of it with you. As always, there will be more gear to geek out on and more music to share with all of you. But for now... This has been Daniel the D3 Cohen, signing off from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record.